The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. There are two dangers of Lenten practice for Christians. And it's important on the first Sunday of Lent that we understand that just a few days in to the 40 days of Lent. The first danger is that this will become round two for our New Year's resolutions, which we may or may not have any intention of keeping. The other danger that's more an undercurrent of danger than it is on the surface is that we might actually find ourselves in faithful Lenten discipline of self-examination and renewal, and we might be changed by it. We might be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit and be moved along in our growth in grace, and we might find that our lives are inconvenienced by our faith practice. Just this last week, somebody told me on Thursday after Ash Wednesday that having heard it in Sunday school last week and then again on Wednesday night about being careful where we go when we mark our foreheads with ashes, he had to pick up dinner and take it home rather than eat in the restaurant. (laughs) I apologize for inconveniencing his plans. But he said, having heard it twice, I couldn't ignore it. So there are two dangers. First, that it becomes round two of things we don't intend to change to begin with. Second, that we actually intend to relinquish our will to God that we might in fact continue to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. How do we get this practice of 40 days in Lent anyway? In the early church, when it was still illegal in the Roman Empire to be a Christian, converts were mostly adults because there were more people who were not a part of Christian faith practice than who were. And confirmation class or membership class, or, or catechumenate in, in, in the old language, would take between two and four years. Because coming forward to be baptized meant taking your life in your own hands. 
you might, by professing faith in Christ, soon become a martyr to the faith. And people did not take lightly this engagement in faith practice. To that end, in the 40 days prior to baptism that was always celebrated on Easter Day, in those 40 days, converts would spend extra time in devotion, in study, in prayer, and fasting to discern whether or not this year would be the year that they would be baptized and profess publicly their faith in Christ. As the new converts continued to keep that practice of 40 days before Lent, the church joined in, remembering their own baptism, remembering their own preparation for faithfulness to Christ, and renewing that. That's how we get to the idea that Lenten discipline is self-examination and renewal. It's not like, I mean, this morning um, I started worship up in the, in the balcony because I never get to be up there for worship. And then I snuck out and came around and I ended up in the back rows. And um, people said, you're throwing us off back here. And I said, seem like I'm not here. I'm not here to judge. We, we, we don't get to go around with a scorecard and, and take tally on each other. We get to go around with a scorecard and take tally on ourselves. (laughs) Let me know how that works out for you. (laughs) It's always tough for me. Our time during Lent is a time of focusing on on prayer and fasting and almsgiving. And so our, our disciplines of giving something up during Lent is a form of fasting our disciplines of taking up a form of service that we might not otherwise participate in is a form of almsgiving, and all of our practices of giving up or taking up should be accompanied by prayer. You see, the purpose of Lent is not to see whether or not we can endure 40 days without something we like. or with something that we don't like, or whether those closest to us can endure 40 days when we're deprived of something we like. (laughs) I heard about a pastor who gave up his normal intake of caffeination during Lent, and and for Easter, the whole congregation bought him a case, at least, of his preferred form of caffeination. And having heard that early on in ministry, I've decided never to give that up. Not for my sake, because I'd probably be better, but for yours, (laughs) for Holly's. (laughs) The purpose of Lent is to discover a deeper relationship than we have known thus far in life. A deeper relationship with God, a deeper relationship with each other, and a deeper relationship with with ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, each Sunday in this, in, in this season of Lent, we'll be focusing on different aspects of our faith practice that God gives us in order to grow in grace. 
And today's focus is Scripture. Got Word? The Word of God. How do we find that? How do we keep that? Well, as is fitting with Lent, we start with confession and pardon. If you look at your sermon bulletin insert, we have the confession and pardon from our communion liturgy right here. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. In, in, in one congregation I served, I had, I had a, a church member who would come up to me every time we followed this liturgy, and he'd say, John, as soon as I'm just getting warmed up in that silent part, you cut me off with good news, and I haven't even really begun to confess all that I need to confess. I told him, start on Saturday night. <laughs> we start with our confession and we pray these words free us for joyful obedience and I love the placing of those two words together joyful obedience. Because if, if I know anything about people, about myself, is that when I know the rules, and I know where the lines are, and I know what the goal is, I can run and play and dance and live in greater fullness of life than if I'm trying to figure things out on my own. I need help to get this thing called life right. I need assistance to help guide me down the right path. So we start with God's story. Because God's story, Scripture, is the story that makes our stories worth telling. Think about that for a moment. As we locate our life story in the context of God's redemptive work, our story becomes more than it can be on its own. I've shared with you before being in the sixth grade and 
telling my mom I need to get saved and her taking me to a Pentecostal holiness church and it was kind of excited and kind of loud and for a sixth grade boy who wasn't familiar with church, it was kind of scary. But I remember in this moment right now, sitting back around where that blanket is and hearing the preacher preach on 1 Samuel 3 and asking, have you ever heard God call your name? I remember that in my very bones. And if I hadn't have been a quiet Methodist, I'd have said, yes! <laughs> I'm a quiet Methodist, so I didn't. Locating our story in the context of God's story of redeeming the world gives us cause to tell our story in a different way. So we've got to spend time listening to, searching and studying the Scripture so that we know where our story fits in. Today's story from the Gospel is perfect for this day. Jesus spent 40 days fasting and praying. And we know that he prayed because it's, he said it's, he fasted. And those two practices always go together. You don't have to fast every time you pray, but every time we fast, we also pray. Those are linked. So, so at the end of that time, the tempter, the enemy, the devil shows up at an opportune time when Christ was at his lowest, his weakness, his most empty has that ever happened to you? <laughs> and he provided three basic temptations. Physical need, personal achievement, spiritual power, and protection. And Jesus, each time, quoted Scripture. It is written. It is said. If you'll look at that insert, you can see where those Scriptures are and the full context. Jesus quoted part of it when, when, when the devil asked him to turn rocks into bread so that he would no longer be hungry. Jesus quoted, man does not live by bread alone. The full quote of that is Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which you neither, neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The fullness of our lives is independent of the fullness of our bellies. The fullness of our lives is directly tied to the fullness of our searching of Scripture. The second, the second temptation, I get them two and three confused. The second temptation was to um, authority and power in the world, personal achievement, and, 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 and Jesus, all he had to do was to worship the devil, and Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God alone, and, and the full quote is Deuteronomy 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone shall you worship. And to Him you shall hold fast, and by His name shall you swear. 
our whole being is tied up and connected to, rooted and grounded in and flows from Almighty God. The, 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 the third temptation was to put God to the test. And you notice here that the enemy quotes Scripture too. He can play that game as well. He says, well, you're playing that game. I'm going to jump in with you. It's said he'll command his angels concerning you. And Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You remember in the Exodus, and they complained, did you bring us out in the desert to die? Maybe we should have stayed back in Egypt where at least we had food and water. That's when Moses struck the rock. So what are our Lenten practices of searching Scripture? Well, in part, they begin with our Bible reading plan. During Lent, we're reading through the Gospel according to John. And on today, we have a rest day or Selah where we can catch up from what we may have missed this past week. Tomorrow we begin with, continue with John 2, 12 through 25. You'll note that as we get to Holy Week, we have Scripture particularly related to those days. On Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Saturday Vigil, we have those stories that focus on Christ's crucifixion so that we might be rightly prepared on Easter Day to celebrate His resurrection. So where do we start in God's Word? You know that God's a baseball fan, right? Right? You know this, Pastor. I mean, it starts right there in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, come on, y'all. <laughs> I almost framed it like this, Pastor. Years ago in Lent, when, when we were scheduling things at the church we served, I, I, I ended up at home complaining about the church schedule because every time the church wanted to do something, it conflicted with something that was already on my calendar called Duke Basketball and then March Madness. And my wife suggested, maybe God is telling you to give up basketball for Lent. I said, no, on the eighth day, baby, God created Duke basketball and March Madness. Well, God's not a basketball fan, apparently, but he is a baseball fan. It's just starting. So how do we begin with that? In the beginning, God spoke the Word. Let there be light. And in the, in the beginning of John's Gospel, we read it just a few days ago, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. Not one thing came into being without God. 
not the plastic that makes up this candle lighter. Not the metal that makes up this bell. Not the molecules that vibrate that allow us to hear this note. Not the energy that is consumed and exhibited in the light of this flame. Not one thing came into being without the Word of God. Now, I don't, I don't know how that might affect your daily faith practice, but when we begin to realize and remember that every single thing we can see and touch and hear belongs to God, it begins to reshape how I think about things that I think are mine and to remember that because I'm bought by the blood of Christ, I don't even own me. I told you, I told you this Lenten practice is dangerous. It might change the way we live. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We just finished that celebration during Epiphany. The light of Christ in the world shining in us and around us and beyond us. And so our time in Lent is focusing upon how we kindle that light that shines within us, our part of that. And in connection with the truth that all that is belongs to God, we hear Paul's words to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you were not your own? For you were brought with a price, therefore I glorify God in your body. You see, rooting and planting these scriptures in our hearts will transform us from the inside out. It's why when, when second graders, and you've heard this from me five or six times since January, when second graders came to me, and, and, and my own second grader came to me and said, do you know the fruit of the Spirit? I know the fruit of the Spirit. Can you name the fruit of the Spirit? I can name the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I said, yeah, but do you know where that is? He said, yeah, Galatians 5. Okay. <laughs> I tried to one-up my own kid and got beat. Why is it important to remember those continually? Not just to memorize them to say, oh yeah, I can rattle them off, but, but to remember them 
so that when we are in the middle of our regular day, every day, and maybe we're not at our best, we might not quite be at our worst, but maybe we're not quite at our best, we remember those fruit and say, oh, I have these. I remember that I know what patience looks like in the grocery line <laughs> when there aren't enough checkers for the crowd that suddenly showed up. I, I, I remember what love looks like when somebody is sitting by themselves to offer a warm smile or a greeting. I remember what peace looks like in the midst of accusation, judgment, and shame. I love this from 1 John chapter 2. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you were strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is the message that we have from Christ. And in the span of God's time, we are all young. And by God's grace, we have all overcome the evil one. Because in Christ, we have that victory. We live that. We can breathe that. We can practice that when we've got the Word of God deeply planted in our lives. Let's pray together. God, you have shaped our stories with the power and beauty and grace of your story of redemption that we find in your holy word. Plant it deep within us and grow its fruit among us even as in this Lent we yield ourselves to your will that we might be shaped in the image of Christ, even as you promised through the prophet Jeremiah, inscribe your word upon our hearts that bearing your image and inscription, we might give ourselves completely to you. For we ask this through Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.